ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so beginning from tonight then, insha'Allah ta'ala, we're going to be starting Kitabut Tawheed, the famous book that many people are aware of. Many people have maybe read certain chapters of it. A famous book written by a Sheikh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab, rahimahullah ta'ala. And as you will notice, this particular book it is not actually the authorship of a Sheikh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab. The meaning of that is that this is not like any other normal book where a scholar maybe sits down and writes a book about a particular topic. This book, as you will see, every chapter of it is purely ayat of the Qur'an and a hadith from the sunnah and statements from the salaf and occasionally, only occasionally, some quotes from other scholars like Ibn Taymiyyah and Ibn Al-Qayyim. But the majority of this book, it is only ayat of the Qur'an and a hadith from the Sunnah. It is mentioned that one of the scholars, one of the scholars from Al Medina, Al Sheikh Ali Nasir Al Faqihi, he mentioned that once he went to a country that was upon the Sufi methodology. And so they did not like this type of author. They did not like a Sheikh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab. And so when he went there, he wanted to teach them Tawheed. And he wanted to do it with this book, Kitabut Tawheed. But he knew that the people of that area would not accept from him if he told them that this book is the book of a Sheikh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab. So he began teaching it without telling them who the author of the book is. And so he started going through the chapters one by one, talking about the different aspects of Tawheed, explaining how our worship has to be to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone, and refuting all of the different types of shirk that the people are upon. He said after the conference, one week, two weeks, three weeks, whatever it was, the people, they began coming to him and asking him, what is this book? What is this book that you have been teaching over the last few weeks? And remember those people, they were all raised upon Sufiyyah and those kinds of methodologies whereby they had been taught that many of the things that are actually shirk are okay. And so when the shaykh had gone through these various chapters and shown them the ayat from the Qur'an proving that certain actions are impermissible and from shirk, showing them the ahadith from the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. They began coming to him and asking him, what is this book you've been teaching? So then he said, he informed them or some of them that this is Kitabut Tawheed of a Sheikh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab. And they were amazed, amazed and shocked at the reality of the da'wah of a Shaykh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab. 
The scholars have said, some of them have said, that there is no other book similar to this in this topic. And the topic of this book, as you know, is Tawheed al-Uluhiyya in particular, highlighting the importance of singling out all of our actions to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because of the style and the method that the shaykh wrote this book or compiled and put together this book, a chapter heading and then ayat and ahadith, another chapter heading ayat and ahadith. And due to the importance of this book, there were some of the scholars in Medina, they used to say that this is a book that you can never leave. You read through it once, then go back to the opening chapter and read it again. You finish it, go back to the opening chapter and read it again. And due to its importance, there have been multiple explanations written by the scholars on this great book. And due to its importance, the University of Medina, for many years, had and maybe still do have this book on the curriculum for the students there. In the first year of your degree, you have to do Kitab al-Tawheed from beginning to end, chapter one to the final chapter, and you are tested on it, and you are given exams on it, and you have to memorize it, and you have to understand it, because this is the core of the religion. This topic and this book, what it covers, is the core of the religion. What will distinguish and decide between the people who enter paradise and those who enter the hellfire on that day, because the distinction on that day it will be the muwahhidun, the people of Tawheed in paradise, and the mushrikun, the people of shirk in the hellfire. That's why this Tawheed is so important. It is the crux of the religion, the foundation of the religion, the first pillar that you speak of. Shahadatu an la ilaha illallah. The first pillar of Islam is Tawheed. The first pillar of Iman, Al-Imanu Billah. Iman in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is all Tawheed. Tawheed al-Rububiyyah, Tawheed al-Uluhiyyah, Tawheed al-Asma'i wa-Sifat. The names and attributes of Allah, the worship of Allah, the Lordship of Allah. This is what distinguishes the Muwahid from the Mushrik. And you will see as we go through the chapters, there are many different types of actions that many Muslims even fall into, which are actually actions that detract they make your Tawheed deficient. They make your Tawheed deficient. And your Tawheed is not complete. So it is very important to study these types of topics. And we all know that ultimately Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created us and placed us on this earth for this objective for the objective of actualizing Tawheed, the objective of perfecting Tawheed, that is the purpose of our existence and our creation. وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ That I did not create the jinn and the humans except for them to worship me. And we know that the Salaf, they used to say, إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ means, إِلَّا Except for the people to implement and actualize 
and perfect their worship upon Tawheed. So we will see as the chapters move along one by one, various aspects of Tawheed. To begin with, we will start with an introduction, an introduction written by the grandson, the grandson of a Sheikh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab. The grandson, a Sheikh Sulaiman. And he speaks about the importance of this book and the need for every believer to understand the reality of Tawheed. So he says, he mentions that the Asal, الأصل في ذلك هو الإعراض عن الهدى والنور الذي أنزله الله تعالى على رسوله محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم من الكتاب والحكمة والاستغناء عن ذلك بمتابعة الآباء والأهواء والعادات المخالفة لذلك That the people who have opposed Tawheed. It is because they have shunned away from the guidance and the light which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sent down with the messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in the revelation of the Quran and the Sunnah. And those people who think that they can suffice themselves by following their forefathers in whatever they were upon and following their desires and their culture. Those people who follow that type of pathway, then they are the ones who deviate away from the pathway of Tawheed. Those who think they can just follow their forefathers, whatever they teach them, regardless of whether it is the truth or not, whether there are evidences for that or not, and they think they can suffice themselves with that, following their forefathers and their desires and their traditions, that is not the way of Ahlu Sunnah. Ahlu Sunnah. We follow the evidences of the Qur'an, the evidences of the ahadith from the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam, not blindly follow whatever our forefathers may have been upon, not blindly follow whatever the culture and the tradition tells us, rather to follow the evidences just like all of the four famous imams said, Al-Imam Ahmad, Al-Imam Malik, Al-Imam Shafi'i, Al-Imam Abu Hanifa, Rahimahumullah. They all said, if you ever find something which goes against what I said, if you ever find something in the Quran and the Sunnah, which goes against an opinion that I had, then forget my opinion, follow what you find in the Quran and the Sunnah. All four of the Imams, they said that. Al-Imam Shafi'i even said, if you find something that I say, an opinion of mine, going against what is in the Qur'an, then take my opinion and throw it against the wall. Get rid of it. And follow the evidences in the Qur'an and the Sunnah. And that is the basis of our religion. The basis of everything we study. The basis of our knowledge. It is not like some of the people blindly follow the Imam. The Imam says you have to do this, so you have to do it. No, it is if the evidences prove something to be done, then we do it. So here he mentions those who have gone astray, they are those who have left the Quran and the Sunnah. And instead they think they can suffice themselves with their forefathers, and their cultures and their traditions. وَلِهَذَا And due to this, كَرَّرَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى الْأَمْرَ بِمُتَابَعَةِ الْكِتَابِ وَالسُنَّةِ 
في مواضع كثيرة من القرآن and due to this Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has repeated many times in many places telling us and ordering us to follow the Quran and the Sunnah. Many places in the Quran you are told to do that, to obey the messenger, to follow the Sunnah. And many examples are given for that. Many examples have been given in the Quran, in the Sunnah, about following the Sunnah. Like the famous hadith, when the Prophet ﷺ gave the example of the knowledge that he has come with, to the example of land. You have certain types of land that are dry and barren. So when the rain falls on those types of land, nothing grows in them, the water doesn't seep into them, it doesn't even hold the water for animals to come and drink from it. Barren land. That is like the example of the ones whom the revelation, the Quran and the Sunnah comes to them, but they ignore it and they are blind to it and they don't accept it. It is barren land that does not benefit from the rain and therefore does not benefit anyone else. But then there are other types of land when the rain falls on them. Some types of land that are fertile. So the rain falls into that land and the water seeps in and the vegetation and the fruit it grows. And so the people and the animals, they benefit from that land. And maybe another type of land that cannot grow doesn't have the fertility to grow, but it has the ability to hold the water when the rain falls. So at least the humans and the animals can benefit from the water which has been held together by the land. The animals can drink from it, the humans can take from it and use it. So there are different types. You do not want to be from the example of the barren land, that knowledge comes to you and you are ignorant of it and neglect it and reject it and do not accept it. But rather you want to try and be from the fertile land that accepts the rainfall and the vegetation and the benefits come from it. Because that is the purpose of seeking knowledge. One of the purposes of seeking knowledge is to remove knowledge, uh, to remove ignorance, to remove ignorance from yourself and from others. Remove ignorance from yourself and how much ignorance does a person have how much ignorance is there available to every one of us to remove from ourselves? Ignorance of the Qur'an. How much there is in the Qur'an of knowledge from the speech of Allah? And how much of that do we know? How much of that have we read carefully and pondered over it? And how much of the Qur'an do we not have a clue about? A great degree of ignorance that we can remove from ourselves regarding the Qur'an and what is in it. The sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, so many ahadith. How much ignorance do we have of those ahadith? Think about Al-Bukhari. How many ahadith in Al-Bukhari and how many of them do we know? And do we practice, but how many of them do we not know? So many into the hundreds, into the thousands. From Al-Bukhari, somebody could quote it to you and you wouldn't know this is an authentic hadith from the sunnah of the messenger. Sahih Muslim, thousands maybe of the narrations that we've never heard of. So how much ignorance is there available, mashaAllah, to everyone? to remove from themselves, 
to remove from ourselves. And then once you've removed it from yourself, you are in a position to help others remove it from themselves. You learn this Tawheed, you understand this Tawheed, so you remove the ignorance you had within yourself, and then you're in a position to help others from your family members, from your neighbors, from your society, to remove the ignorance from them, to remove the faults that they are upon regarding shirk, and to bring them to the reality of Tawheed. This is what the Prophet ﷺ spent his life doing, and what the companions and the Salaf spent their lives upon, and the great scholars of the past and present continue to spend their lives and their time upon learning this religion, teaching this religion, aiding themselves firstly and foremostly with this knowledge, and then others after them. So then it mentions here, that is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala informed us so often in the Qur'an to follow the rulings in that Qur'an and in that sunnah in following the two revelations and not abandoning them and neglecting them. ذَلِكَ أَنَّهُ لَا مَقْصُودَ بِهِ فِي حَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا إِلَّا تَوْحِيدُ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى And that's because he says, there is no other purpose or objective for you in this life other than the implementation of Tawheed. You have no other goal or objective or purpose other than the worship of Allah upon Tawheed. وَمَعْرِفَتُهُ And knowing that. وَخِدْمَتُهُ and aiding in that Tawheed and the spread of it, ikhlas lahu, and having that sincerity, that purity in your hearts, regarding this Tawheed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, وَالْإِسْتِلْذَاذْ بِذِكْرِهِ And to find pleasure in remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and that's why Ibn, uh, Ibn al-Qayyim, he mentioned that the believer who does not remember Allah, who does not do the dhikr of Allah, is negligent in his heart regarding Allah, then that believer is like a fish that does not have any water. The believer, his heart is empty and dead, a fish that does not have water, just like the fish needs the water, the believer needs the remembrance of Allah, needs this tawheed and iman, needs this dhikr, supplication and dua, and remember, remembrance of his creator, just like the fish needs the water. And without the water, the fish is dead. And without remembrance and understanding of Tawheed and Iman, then the heart of the believer in reality is dead. So he mentions Al-Istilvaad Bidikrihi, gaining pleasure from the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And recognizing your submission and lowliness to the greatness of this Tawheed to Allah. Because through understanding the Tawheed, you understand the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and therefore understand the insignificance of yourself, how small a speck of creation you are in the vast creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَالْإِنْقِيَادُ لِأَمْرِهِ لِأَوَامِرِهِ Through understanding Tawheed, it also enables you to then submit yourselves to the commandments of Allah. And that's why the scholars, they say, everybody who commits a sin 
has technically committed a form of shirk. Any time a person commits a sin, technically that person has committed a form of shirk. Some of the scholars have mentioned, because every time you commit a sin, you have disregarded the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or you have not understood the reality of the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and instead you have followed your desire over and above the commandments of Allah. So you've made your desire a partner. You're following your desire in committing that sin. And so when a person understands Tawheed and becomes strong upon Tawheed, it enables you to abandon your sins because abandoning the sins is from the perfection of your Tawheed. That's why they say about the likes of Umar ibn al-Khattab, with the strength of Iman he had and Tawheed he had, that the shayateen of the jinn would run away to the other side when they saw him approaching. From the strength of the Tawheed and the Iman, and the scholars they mention, when you talk about jinn and the jinn are attacking me and they've gone into this person and doing this and doing that, one of the strongest forms of defense the scholars have mentioned against the shayateen is your internal understanding of tawheed and strength of heart upon this aqeedah, upon this iman. That strength of tawheed and belief and aqeedah, that is one of the main causes, one of the main uh, defenses that you have against the shayateen. So when a person says, but this weakness is occurring and the shayateen this and the shayateen that, do you even have a correct understanding of your tawheed and aqeedah? Are you praying your five prayers properly every day, understanding what you are reading in your prayer when you pray? And many of them, they don't know these things. So from the beginning stages of rectification for them would be these affairs. Rectify and strengthen the Tawheed in your heart. And that will be a means of fighting off and warding off the shayateen who are causing you problems. And also, Al-inabatu ilayhi wal-islamu lahu. Submitting yourself and returning back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Recognizing your smallness before your Creator. And every individual should think about these affairs because on the day of judgment, every individual will stand before his Lord. مَا مِنْ عَبْدٍ إِلَّا سَيُكَلِّمُهُ رَبُّهُ لَيْسَ بَيْنَهُ وَبَيْنَهُ تُرْجَمَانِ That there is not a servant except that Allah will speak to him on the day of judgment and there will not be between him and him an interpreter. Every person, his accountability will be laid forth on that day. Your books, your deeds put forth on that day. And the difference between the successful and the unsuccessful will be this affair of Tawheed. Your actions and your deeds that are accepted are the ones that are upon Tawheed, built upon the correct Aqeedah, built upon sincerity. So these are important affairs. Allah mentions in the Quran, مَنْ عَمِلَ صَالِحًا مِنْ ذَكَرٍ أَوْ أُنْثَى Whomsoever does the righteous actions from the males or the females, from the men or the women, وَهُوَ مُؤْمِنْ And the person is a mu'min, you do the righteous actions and you are a mu'min. فَلَنُحْيِيَنَّهُ حَيَاةً طَيِّبًا Then we will give that person a good life. وَلَنَجْزِيَنَّهُمْ أَجْرَهُمْ بِأَحْسَنِ مَا كَانُوا يَعْمَلُونَ And we will recompense them and reward them with the best of what they used to do. Those righteous actions and iman are a means for a happy and content life, a life of sa'adah, 
happiness in this world and the afterlife. In another ayah, Allah mentions, اِتَّبِعُوا مَا أُنزِلَ إِلَيْكُمْ مِنْ رَبِّكُمْ Follow what has been revealed to you from your Lord. Follow what has been revealed to you from your Lord. وَلَا تَتَّبِعُوا مِنْ دُونِهِ أَوْلِيَاءِ And do not follow others from your awliya, from those who you take as your guardians, as your protectors, as your friends. قَلِيلًا مَّا تَذَكَّرُونَ How little it is that you contemplate or remember. Similarly, Allah mentioned, وَأَنَّ هَذَا صِرَاطِي مُسْتَقِيمًا فَاتَّبِعُوهُ this is my straight path, so follow it. And do not follow the other pathways to the left and to the right here and there, and they take you away from his path. That is what he advises or counsels you with, orders you with, so that you may be upon taqwa. So then the Shaykh says, فَيَا عَجَبَا مِمَّنْ يَزْعُمْ أَنَّ الْهِدَايَةَ وَالسَّعَادَةَ لَا تَحْصُلُ بِالْقُرْآنِ وَلَا بِالسُنَّةِ That how shocking it is, how amazing it is, that there are people who claim that happiness cannot be achieved through the Qur'an and the Sunnah. They think, that happiness will be achieved through the worldly affairs, through wealth and money and property and cars and luxury. They think that happiness will be achieved through those affairs. And they think happiness cannot be achieved through the Qur'an and the Sunnah. Then how shocking that is. Ma'anna, and even more shocking, مَعَ أَنَّ النَّبِيَّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ لَمْ يَهْتَدِي إِلَّا بِذَلِكَ The Prophet وسلم, he was guided via the Qur'an and the Sunnah, the revelation. Allah guided him, gave him that revelation of the Qur'an and the Sunnah. So how can a person now think they will be guided or they will have happiness with something other than an outside of that Qur'an and Sunnah. That's why Allah told us, وَمَا آتَاكُمُ الرَّسُولُ فَخُذُوهُ وَمَا نَهَاكُمْ عَنْهُ فَانْتَهُوا That which the Prophet ﷺ has given you, then take it, and that which he has prohibited you from, then stay away from it. وَهَذِهِ الْمُتَابَعَةِ لِكِتَابِ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى وَسُنَّةِ رَسُولِهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ هِيَ حَقِيقَةُ دِينِ الْإِسْلَامِ And following the Qur'an and the Sunnah, it is the reality of the religion of Islam. الَّذِ افْتَرَضَهُ اللَّهُ عَلَى الْخَاصِ وَالْعَمْ And that is what Allah has obligated upon the general and the specific, upon everyone. وَهُوَ حَقِيقَةُ الشَّهَادَتَيْنِ الْفَارِقَتَيْنِ بَيْنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ وَالْكُفَّارِ And this following of the Qur'an and the Sunnah is what will divide between the believers and the non-believers. وَالسُّعَدَاءَ أَهْلِ الْجَنَّةِ وَالْأَشْقِيَاءَ أَهْلِ النَّارِ And this following of the Qur'an and the Sunnah, whether you do it or not, will differentiate between those who are in bliss, in paradise, and those who are in misery in the hellfire. Because the meaning of La ilaha illallah is La ma'abuda bihaqqin illallah, that there is no deity worthy of worship in truth except Allah. And that's why Allah sent all of the prophets and messengers with that same message. Consider and think for a moment from the very beginning, Nuh alayhi salam, 
at his time for hundreds of years, calling the disbelievers, calling the mushrikun to this same tawheed, the tawheed of al-uluhiyyah, of singling out your worship to Allah alone, and then after him, Musa alayhi salam, Ibrahim alayhi salam, Isa alayhi salam, all the way to the final messenger, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, with the exact same message of tawheed, tawheed of al-uluhiyya. And that's why Allah mentioned to the messenger, وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَا مِنْ قَبْلِكَ مِنْ رَسُولٍ إِلَّا نُوحِي إِلَيْهِ أَنَّهُ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا أَنَا فَاعْبُدُونَ That we did not send before you a messenger except that we reveal to him, to all the messengers that came before you, O Muhammad, we reveal to them that there is no deity worthy of worship in truth except Allah. لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ we reveal that to all of them and inform them that there is no deity worthy of worship in truth except I so worship me. فَاعْبُدُونَ Hence the prophets and messengers would say to their people, يَا قَوْمِ عَبُدُ اللَّهِ مَا لَكُمْ مِنْ إِلَهٍ غَيْرُهُ O people, worship Allah. You do not have any deity to worship besides Allah. And Allah told us, أَفَغَيْرَ دِينِ اللَّهِ يَبْغُونَ Are they seeking or searching for a religion other than the religion of Allah? وَلَهُ أَسْلَمَ مَنْ فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ And to him have submitted those who are in the heavens and the earth. Are they seeking a religion other than the religion of Allah? And yet those in the heavens and the earth have submitted to him. وَمَنْ يَبْتَغِي غَيْرَ الْإِسْلَامِ دِينًا فَلَنْ يُقْبَلَ مِنْهِ Allah told us, whoever seeks a religion other than Islam, then it will not be accepted from him. And Allah told us, شَهِدَ اللَّهُ أَنَّهُ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا هُوْ وَالْمَلَائِكَةُ وَأُولُوا الْعِلْمِ قَائِمًا بِالْقِسْطِ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا هُوَ الْعَزِيزُ الْحَكِيمُ That Allah testifies that there is no deity worthy of worship in truth except He. And the angels and the people of knowledge testify to that. They are upright upon that statement that there is no deity worthy of worship in truth except He. Al-Aziz Al-Hakim. And this all highlights therefore the need and the importance for a person to focus on this Tawheed. Many people, they object and they say, what is the purpose of studying Tawheed so much when all of the different things are going on around the world and the Muslims are being attacked everywhere, and their land and their countries are being taken over by the kuffar, then why are we sat here studying Tawheed and learning these books? Why aren't we talking about solutions to the problems of the Muslims across the world? As Shaykh Al-Fawzan, Hafizahullah Ta'ala, answered the question for you. And he said, because the exact solution to the problems of the Muslims across the world is this Tawheed. Do you not see that the Muslims in different places across the world, they do tawaf around shrines in their countries, claiming La ilaha illallah, yet doing tawaf around the graves. Others, upon their misunderstanding and misguidance, they go to Medina and do tawaf around the grave of the messenger. To do that, the only way is to go around the whole outside of the mosque. And you see it. You can stand in one point and you see a person go, 
and then you see him come around and then you see him go and you see him come around and he's doing tawaf around the mosque doing tawaf around the grave of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and people they come muslims they come upon misunderstanding and misguidance not realizing the reality of tawhid and they want to wipe the walls where the grave of the prophet is or even just the wall outside of the mosque that is close to the grave of the prophet on one occasion we were there in the hajj season the students would go to that area to advise the hujjaj and this elderly woman came elderly woman maybe in her 80s 70s 80s who knows maybe it was her first time at umrah hajj allah alam but she came and she wanted to wipe the walls to wipe the walls where the grave of the prophet is just near there so we explained to her that this is not something you should do and there is no benefit in you doing this and it is actually a misunderstanding in your belief that you think there is baraka or some type of goodness for you to wipe these walls and from her misunderstanding began crying but please please allow me to wipe the wall because in their aqeedah they have been taught and raised upon this misunderstanding upon not realizing the reality of tawhid believing that wipe these bricks and you will get baraka wipe this wall and you will get baraka a wall that was built hundreds of years after the prophet the outside walls and the other areas wiping those walls believing this baraka others going to the kaaba with scissors and cutting off some of the cloth the black cloth cutting off a section and stealing it mashallah this is from the misunderstanding they believe that is baraka blessings get some of the cloth from the kaaba and take it with you and in reality they have just done theft from the kaaba this is the level of misunderstanding which exists across the muslim world so when you want to talk about but what's the solution to fixing the the problems in the muslim countries and the kuffara doing this and the kuffara doing that the first thing as a sheikh al-athameen mentioned as well one of the things you need to look at is the state of the muslims themselves fix yourselves fix your ummah fix your aqeedah rectify the affairs stop the muslims sacrificing to the dead in their graves stop the muslims prostrating to their imams and this is our maulana and prostrating to him stop these actions of disbelief they are actions of kufr and shirk prostrating to others and prostrating to the graves this is the level of misunderstanding which exists and then you get to all different types of subjects we're going to cover inshallah where people wear the taweez they wear the talismans they wear the necklaces believing this is going to protect me or they wear certain rings believing this is going to protect me or they put certain things into their cars hanging off their cars believing this will give baraka to my car many many kinds of actions that we as a muslim ummah need to rectify in ourselves and that's why the scholars they say this book is so important 60 odd chapters 60 chapters or so every chapter inshallah roughly one chapter per week will do so every week you will learn a new part of tawhid a new part a new topic about tawhid and a new part about shirk and the different types of actions that are shirk even statements that people make and you don't even think about them they can be statements of shirk when a person has an accident and he says if only i hadn't gone that way i was about to go the other way but then i took that road if only i'd gone the original way i was going to go it wouldn't have happened that statement is a deficiency in your tawhid it is a weakness in your tawhid to say these kinds of statements i was going to go the other way i should have gone that other way then the accident wouldn't have happened how do you know maybe if you went the other way a worse accident would have happened and you would have died how do you know what was going to happen the other way this is like a type of aggression or a type of a type of a, la- a lack of acceptance of the decree of allah 
a lack of acceptance of the decree of Allah. That's why the Prophet ﷺ said, don't say, لَوْ لَا لَوْ فَإِنَّ لَوْ تَفْتَهُ عَمَلَ الشَّيْطَانِ Don't say, if only I did this, if only I did that, because that opens up the door to shaitan. You're not accepting the decree of Allah. These are statements that you make. Statements when people say, was it not for you? Then last night we were finished. They would have done this to us and that to us. Was it not for you? Was it not for him? Scholars have mentioned these are deficiencies in your statements of Tawheed. So there are many things, insha'Allah ta'ala, one by one we'll go through them on a weekly basis, and you will come across many different chapters, chapters about magic, chapters about your star signs and astrology, chapters about the wind and what you say about the wind Islamically, about the decree, about the names and attributes of Allah, about these talismans and bracelets and necklaces people wear, all types of different topics and chapters, one by one explaining the reality of Tawheed. It is important therefore, as we always say at the beginning of new classes, what always happens in the first class is what you see today. MashaAllah. That on the first class there is enthusiasm. But you have to remember, this religion you are learning, it is not science or maths or English or geography. It's not one of your GCSEs or A-levels or degree. This is what you are learning to differentiate whether you end up in paradise or hellfire. This is knowledge of your religion, knowledge of your creator, Allah, knowledge of how to worship Him. This is not something minor. It is not something that you schedule only if you can find time. This is something you should schedule into your weekly timetable over and above other affairs. You need to do your shopping, you need to take your car to the garage, you need to do this and that in different times. Work out different times to do those things. This one slot, one week, one class, two classes, whatever people attend, these are the core. This is what will benefit you in your life, will benefit you, your children, you educate them afterwards. These are the key things. These are the key things that you have to focus on. So make sure you are sincere in your act of seeking knowledge. Make dua that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes it easy for you to seek knowledge. Make dua that Allah makes it easy for you to memorize, to learn, to understand, and to be from those who can give it effort. Because knowledge cannot be gained easily. We cannot finish this whole book now, another 20 minutes and we finish the whole book. It does not work. لا ينال العلم براحة الجسد. As Yahya Abi Kathir mentioned, knowledge cannot be gained with relaxation of the body. If you are a type of person, you are easily deceived by the whisperings of the shaitan to relax, especially in the times that we are coming to now. The winter season, cold, raining storm today, maybe snow and ice another day. These times are going to be difficult for a person. When he's at home, in front of the heater, warm, and then now you get out and you have to go into your car, you have to drive half an hour, get to the masjid, sit in the class, it requires effort and it requires sincerity that a person remembers he's doing this for the sake of Allah. He's doing this not for any other reason, not for showing off, not to just be seen by other people I attended, but he's doing it for the sake of Allah to learn his religion and to fulfill the commandment or the obligation or the purpose that Allah created us for. How can you do that if you don't know the reality of Tawheed and the different parts of Tawheed? So make this intention firm in your minds that it's not just a one-off or every now and again. This is a fixed thing you will attend with your pens and pads. Make the notes, bring a pen and a pad. Maybe you hear some new hadith that you've never heard before, write it down so you don't forget it. Maybe you hear some new benefit from an ayah that you never knew about, or some new part of Tawheed or Shirk you never knew about, so make a note of it. This book is actually available in English too. Has anybody got it? 
It's available. This is the one that we're doing. So if anybody wants to try and get a copy, that's the copy you should try to get. If you don't know where to get it, speak to somebody here from the brothers in the office afterwards. They'll direct you on where to get this book from. That's the English version. It's uh, good enough. We're going to give more details, but that is good enough. So inshallah, get this book as well, and you can read it every week as you come along. You can read the chapter in advance, and so you know what we're doing every week, what we're going to be learning, and you can make your notes, and you have some revision guide with you. So inshallah ta'ala, we'll conclude upon that for today, and we're going to resume next week with the opening chapter, the opening chapter of Kitab al-Tawheed, or the first section, which is like an introduction also, to Kitab al-Tawheed from next week. And inshallah ta'ala, we'll see everybody on a regular basis, and bring your kids. Everybody knows the way I do it, it's not complicated. It will be simple and easy. The youngsters can understand. Eight, nine, ten, eleven years old, don't be shy to bring your children. Eight, nine, ten, old, that is old. They can easily sit in that level of age and study and listen and hear and benefit from these things. The explanation of a Sheikh Al Fawzan is an easy explanation, can be understood easily by anyone. Youngsters and elders, newcomers included. So, inshallah ta'ala then, we hope to see everybody from next week then, straight after Isha. We'll begin with that first section in the book. And we'll conclude upon that for today then. If there's any question or anything now anybody needs to ask, go on. Raising the hands in dua is not a condition, but it is from the means of your dua to be answered. The scholars have said, raising your hands is from the asbab ijabati dua, from the means of your dua to be answered. So you should do that. No, with those worships of the heart, it's not an either or. It's not a case of if you don't have this but do that one then. You need to be focused on all of them because all of those aspects of the worship of the heart, we're going to cover them in every chapter coming up. They are all required. They are a part of your tawheed. So it cannot be that something is deficient but I'm making up from it elsewhere. It doesn't work like that. Every section of your ibadah from the heart needs to be at that level. Anybody else? Uh, in Bolton as well, Bolton close by on Thursdays, there's going to be a new class starting as well. Thursdays at 7.30 p.m. in Bolton, Masjid al-Huda. That's going to be a, a, a small poetry book, Ha'iya of Ibn Abi Dawood, which is going to cover a slightly different topic to this. That's going to be about the overall aqidah. What is your aqidah about the angels, about the companions, about different things. That is on Thursdays at 7.30 from this Thursday in Bolton. Masjid al-Huda. Anybody else? Playing the Quran in the background whilst you're doing other tasks, like people at home, they might just have the Quran playing, and they're doing whatever they're doing, they're cleaning, they're this, they're that. Playing it in the background, as Shaykh al-Uthaymeen said, you shouldn't do that. Because the Quran is not just background noise. The Qur'an is there to be listened to and read and understood and pondered over. If you're playing it in the background, it's just there and you're doing your thing, you're not actually focusing on what's going on. Somebody could play something and you're doing your thing and then stop it and say, brother, what was the surah that was just playing? You wouldn't know. Because you're not actually listening to it. It's just there playing in the background. You catch a couple of words now and again, catch an eye now and again, but you're doing your thing. So you're not actually focused on it. And that isn't the purpose of the Qur'an. The Qur'an is not just background noise. So as Shaykh al said, you're not supposed to just play it as a background noise thing and you're doing your thing. Rather, you play it to listen to it and understand it. Anybody else? There's another class now, huh? Last question, go on. 
Now, if somebody who is trustworthy comes to you with news, then that isn't the case of verification. If somebody comes to you who is trustworthy with news from somebody else about some issue, then that can be accepted if he is a trustworthy individual. But you have to be careful that these days, people, many people, are unable to narrate properly. And one of the reasons is, the inability of those people to actually study. If you don't study properly, you don't learn, you don't go through the hadith, you don't go through chains of narration, you don't learn knowledge and memorize it, your ability to generally narrate from people is compromised as well. Somebody might come to you who's a trustworthy individual. He says, I heard from Ustad such and such in the class, he said X, Y, and Z. And he's a trustworthy person who's narrating to you. But even if he is, that isn't always enough to accept the narration from someone. He may be trustworthy, but he's just not a person who has the ability to quote and to narrate properly. He hears things and he misunderstands them. So he may come to you as a trustworthy person, known to be trustworthy. He says, I heard the Ustad say you can do X, Y, and Z. And then he narrates that to you. But he might be wrong in what he says because he's misquoted and misunderstood how he's narrated something to you. So it's not just a simple case of these days Salafi saying, but that Salafi is a trustworthy person, and he narrated from such and such. Okay, but with all due respect, we know that people have a problem in how they narrate things. They are incapable of getting the full meaning of something sometimes. They may narrate something that they misunderstood. They may phrase it in a way that a particular teacher or whatever it was didn't intend. Maybe the, the teacher phrased it in a certain way. They paraphrased it to you. So this kind of thing that I heard and I heard and I heard, it's not needed. With knowledge, it's not needed. With knowledge, it is not needed. Somebody comes and says to you, I heard that the Ustad in his class, he said X, Y, and Z. You don't need that. You can go directly to the Ustad. You can go directly to the quote that he's talking about. You can go directly to the books and check that particular issue. We don't need that kind of stuff here that I heard such and such say. That isn't the way of knowledge. It isn't the way of knowledge to just say, I heard this and I heard that. For students who want to be proper students, then focus on the proper methods of studying, the proper methods of knowledge, where you go back to the sources, you bring your references, you bring your quotes. If somebody comes to you and says, such and such an ustad, he said this in his class, and it's in the recording for last Friday, this date. So now you can go and check. That's a proper quote he's given you. He's narrating something to you which can be verified and established to get the exact quote that the teacher said. So then you don't need this, I heard and I heard. And people making mistakes in how they narrate even though they are trustworthy. So I believe personally you have to be careful with this kind of thing and you don't want to open up this door because there's no need for it. There is no need to open up this door of narrating by chains, mashaAllah. You have the sources available. Go back to the Ustad, go back to the uh, book, whatever it is. Go back to the source. So you don't need to have people saying, but why, don't you trust me? We say, you're a trustworthy person. You're absolutely trustworthy. No problem with, with that. But what you're quoting to me, this particular issue, I just want to go and read it properly in the book and see what Sheikh Al-Fawzan said or, or the Mufti said or Bimbaz said. I want to see exactly what the topic is about. That's the way it should be done rather than I just heard and I heard. And the other thing is, if a person isn't a student, even if they narrate accurately to you, they may not understand what they are narrating properly. It's like, uh, I remember one time teaching in uh, fiqh, when you wipe after uh, uh, using the toilet, uh, uh, after the uh, feces, after that, then you wipe yourself with the stones. In the hadith it mentions, and there must be three cleansing wipes. You must wipe yourself three times at least. If there is still more to be done, then more wipes after that, but three wipes minimum, three stones. Some of the scholars have said, though, it doesn't have to be three stones. It can be one stone that's big and has three sides to it, and so you can use the same stone and do three independent wipings with it. 
I, one time a person didn't know about this. He said, but the sheikh said three stones. I heard the ustad in such and such a class. And I heard the sheikh and he said three stones. So yes, it is three stones. The narrations say three stones. But look at the books of fiqh and what the fuqaha have said. And you can see that the rulings are there. You can use a single stone which has three sides to it. And you can have three independent wipings. But if a person didn't know that, they say, no, I heard that he said three stones in the class. And he said three stones and he gave the narration. So now people are narrating and they're not understanding the full context and the topic of what they are saying. Personally, I say with these kinds of things, go back to the sources, clear cut. There is no room for ambiguity. There is no room for anybody narrating incorrectly. You go back to the sources, you go back to the statement of the Sheikh, Sheikh Fawzan, Sheikh Bin Baz, go back to their quotes, go back to their uh, recordings, their books. It's simple and there's no error to be made. We'll have to leave it there. There's another class now as well. Inshallah, we'll continue with this then next week into the first section after Isha.